0: Hi, I'm Allie Raisman. I've been living with migraine for a while. As an athlete and gymnast, I was taught to just power through the pain. Now I use Ubrelvi or Ubrojapan to treat my migraine attacks. As soon as I feel a migraine attack, I take Ubrelvi, which provides me with quick relief. Once I get relief, I go on with my day. I'm partnering with Ubrelvi to share my migraine story. Ubrelvi quickly stops migraine in its tracks within two hours without worrying where you are. Most people had quick pain relief within two hours. Ubrelvi treats migraine attacks in adults and is not for prevention. It's available by prescription only. Do not take Ubrelvi with strong CYP3A4 inhibitors. Tell your healthcare provider about all the medicines you take. Most common side effects are nausea and tiredness. My hope is that by sharing my migraine story and the relief I get from Ubrelvi, it can help someone else. Ask your doctor about Ubrel-V, the anytime, anywhere migraine medicine. Learn more at UbrelV.com or call 844 ubrelvy Sponsored by AbbVie. I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words i just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain to me. I'm no, you're it. right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's not, an no, illegal thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor, a teacher, a clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble, and I know it. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Pizza we have tonight. I, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza, and ultimately make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? If you or someone you know is experiencing a mental health or substance use crisis, having thoughts of suicide, or just needs to talk, call 988. 988- 988 provides 24-7 direct connection to free, confidential, and compassionate support in your phone's local area code. When you call 988 in Santa Clara County, you'll talk with trained crisis counselors who will support you and connect you to local resources if needed. You are not alone in crisis. There is hope. These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. When I'm asked what the predators I've caught have in common, I always say that they don't stand out of a crowd. That they could be the guy standing next to you in a grocery store or pharmacy or dry cleaners. And for the most part, it's true. Sure, we have guys who surface in our investigations who might as well have the word predator tattooed on their forehead. They're that creepy. But generally... They don't stand out of a crowd. And perhaps there is no better example of this than the case of Charles Lawrence III. And I'll give you a little bit of background. Charles Lawrence was a CPA, a commercial real estate broker, lived in Fairfield County, Connecticut, was known around town, social god. Like to go out. He was married. He had children. And he also commuted between his home in comfortable Fairfield County, Connecticut, and New York City. Like many people do every day. I, in fact, for twenty some years commuted between Connecticut and New York. I lived in Stanford, Connecticut, and my office at NBC was in New York City. And when I wasn't traveling, I would take the Metro North commuter train. It was simply the most efficient way to travel. And in those days, on the train, there was a club car, a bar car, and it was a very cool and social experience. And there were different groups on different bar cars. The 608 would have one group and I had friends there. Guys worked on Wall Street, guys worked in media. I even knew a couple NYPD detectives who would be on the early afternoon train, who lived in the suburbs, Who, Bronx. And these guys and gals, men and women, who would be on that bar car, became friends of mine. You'd have a couple beers, cocktail. My train ride, because I got off in Stanford, was only about 45 to 50 minutes. So there really wasn't much trouble you could get into having a few beers on the way home, and it was honestly quite relaxing, and the, and the people were very entertaining. You had people who had been in the ad game or Wall Street, you know, from the 60s. Guys who had seen it all, done it all. Women who were grizzled veterans of the financial world and advertising. And and honestly, I got some stories out of these trips and these beers on the bar car. I got to be so close with some of these people that they were friends outside of the commute. I would play golf with some of them. We even would have bar car parties. People would kid me about my bar car friends. They're good folks. And you get to know about them. Their families, their kids, their jobs, ultimately their illnesses, and sometimes, sadly, their deaths. But in only one case did someone from that bar car end up surfacing as a predator in one of my investigations. And that was Charles Lawrence III. Now, Charles was not a close friend of mine. He was sort of on the periphery of the guys I would hang out with at Chapman. But he was there, seemed like a nice enough guy. We knew he was in real estate. We knew he was successful. Never really saw him around town. He did one time ask me, Because of my position at NBC, if I could enlist Tom Brokaw to give a speech at one of his conventions or charity groups, something I forget exactly what the event was, but it was something involving real estate brokers and fundraising for a charity. And I I never did put that together. And he really wasn't that close of a friend where I would, you know, go out of my way like that. I mean, I, I do a lot for charity and I taken part in charity events, and I've enlisted other people I know to take part in charity events, but this, there was no follow-up, and I really didn't know him that well and didn't know anything about the organization, so I let it pass. And when I left NBC to do Crime Watch Daily and to do Killer Instinct and all these other projects, and I had an apartment in New York City, so I wasn't really commuting like I used to, we decide, after not having done a new predator investigation for a number of years, seven, eight years, we decided to put one together in Fairfield, Connecticut. I had worked with the Fairfield police on a number of different investigations over the years. I knew the chief of police there, Gary McNamara, many of his officers, men and women, a very professional force. And I had discussed with him and ultimately had a meeting with him and the assistant state attorney for the area about doing an investigation in Fairfield. And McNamara was keen on doing it because he wanted to send a proactive message to the community that Fairfield wasn't going to allow this sort of activity. And Fairfield really was ideal for a lot of different reasons. It's right off of 95. It's close to New York City. It's close to Boston, a very affluent community. And I figured we'd do pretty well in the ramp-up you know, there was some loose discussion about what if you catch somebody you know? And I really didn't think it was going to happen. I mean, I'm pretty sure none of my close associates are predators. I guess you never know, but I was confident I wouldn't see anybody I knew. And we used Tetrad Core as online decoys, a group of men and women, some of whom had been involved with Perverted Justice and had worked with me on other investigations. Perverted Justice had, by this time, broken up and its founders and members had gone on to do other things. So Tetrad Core was on the case and did a very good job as well. And so we set up in Fairfield, Connecticut in October of 2015. And when we did the investigation, we weren't sure where it was going to air, whether it was going to be its own series, Hanson versus Predator, or it was going to air on some other show or what network. We just decided we'd do it in it wouldn't be difficult to place it. And it wasn't. It ultimately, as you probably know, became a part of Crime Watch Daily, the syndicated show that I anchored and reported for for a couple of years. And it was a segment on that show. But we produced it. We put it together. We had many of the same people who worked on the original Predator series. I brought Ronnie Knight out of retirement in Florida to come up and work. And Ron, too. The other Ron who worked security. And we had a house in Fairfield that was in a very comfortable community, very close to I-95. And it was great because it had a three-car garage, but one of those areas was closed off. So the Fairfield police could set up and have their own command center there with monitors and watch everything. They could have a unmarked police car in the garage. And then after I finished talking to the predator, the predator could leave through the garage. There could be an orderly arrest put the predator in the car, drive off, and all this could happen without creating unnecessary commotion in the neighborhood. Because the last thing we want to do is create a problem in the neighborhood that will either keep potential predators from showing up in our investigation or to unnecessarily alarm people. Now, what folks sometimes forget is when we do one of these investigations, it becomes the safest neighborhood in America. Nobody's going to mess with it but it is disconcerting to some folks that these people would be coming in. During this investigation, we had 11 men surface. You remember Jeff Sokol, the pizza guy. A few weeks ago, we talked about Stephen Buchanan with the quote-unquote kill kit in his car. All of these individuals who showed up in three and a half days of our investigation were highly interesting for many different reasons. But Charles Lawrence, perhaps, is the most perplexing. He was chatting on Grinder with somebody who clearly identified themselves as a 13-year-old boy. Charles was on Grinder. The decoy for Dettri Corps was on Grinder. And it's pretty clear to me that Charles had to know the boy was 13. And it's pretty clear to me, and it was to the Fairfield Police and the prosecutor's office, and ultimately to the lawyer representing Charles, that this was strong evidence. And we'll get into the case in a minute here, but Charles ultimately pleaded guilty. So Charles is on Grindr, which, as you probably know, is a dating hookup website, specifically geared for guys, And the chat and I'll read it to you in a minute, is one of a fast mover. And that's what Grindr apparently is all about. People who want to hook up. Not always, but it's a pretty quick hookup system for guys. So Charles, who says that he's 44 on Grindr, and I'll get to his screen name in a minute because it's somewhat significant here, initiates the chat, "'I'm good, what's doing?' he says. "'The decoy poisoning as a 13-year-old boy "'says, just got home from school. "'Nice. Thank God it's Friday,' says Charles. "'And he must have seen in the profile "'that it was the boy's birthday recently. "'And says, a belated happy birthday, by the way. "'That kind of sucked, but I'm over it. "'So what are you up to?' "'And the chat goes on for a little bit longer, "'and then again. "'Next day. "'Morning. morning, still sleepy.' Man, today sucks. Too cold. Charles says, I know. Very cool. Is that really your pic? Says the decoy. Yes, why? Just wondering. Some people post fake pics. The pic that Charles has posted is of him in his car. And it's fairly innocuous. Other pictures had surfaced of him on social media. On a sailboat. Some pictures of him out and about. At different bars and restaurants in town. And the chat continues. They talk about where he's located. Now, it turns out Charles at the time was living, and he was either recently divorced or separated from his wife. Only 2,000 feet, yet this 2,000 feet from our sting house in Fairfield. A stinghouse house which we had rented from a fellow I knew who was selling the house. He had moved in with his then-girlfriend and, girlfriend and they had that home together, and he was trying to sell this house. And In the meantime, we rented it for the sting operation. The decoy says, hey, man, let me go shower and get some breakfast. Will you be around in a bit? Yes. I had my coffee, so I feel better, LOL. I was eating. How was your shower? About to do the same, he says. Hot and wet, LOL. And hopefully soapy, LOL, says Charles. So what are you doing today, says the decoy, LOL, very soapy. A few errands, says Charles, making some cookies, then a pizza party tonight. Now, that might be true, or maybe he was making his activities more palatable to a 13-year-old. Oh, cool, he says. Charles asks, you have any plans? Not nah, just chilling and watching Netflix. He asks about the age. The decoy says 13. So what are you looking for? Says Charles. Just chatting or whatever. I like whatever, lol. What have you done so far? Now, remember, this app is meant for hooking up. So it would be reasonable to suggest that anybody on there would know what the app is for. But again, the decoys made it clear that he's 13. You're supposed to be 18 to be on the app, right? I guess you could make the argument that this was some sort of role-playing. But Charles never really made that argument, as you'll hear. What have you done so far? Asks Charles. I had sex with my girlfriend... "'Nothing with a guy.' "'Gotcha, but do you like guys better now?' asks Charles. "'Never tried it, but being with my girlfriend was really awkward,' says the decoy. "'Yes,' says Charles. "'So you're bi or just gay?' the decoy asks. "'School is in session,' says Charles, referring to not having much experience. "'More gay, but also somewhat bi,' he goes back to saying after. The decoy asks. Then Charles asks, "'Do you watch porn?' and volunteers that he watches mostly gay porn and some bi-porn. What do you watch? Sweet, I like gay DP at the moment. Now DP refers to a sex act that involves oral and anal sex. DP is so hot, says Charles. He explains, ass to mouth. You're getting me hard, LOL, says Charles. I know, right, says the decoy. The conversation continues in a little bit. Charles asks, So do you think you're more of a top? Meaning, what position does he like? Now again, this kid is 13. I don't know, I'm willing to learn, says the decoy. And then, just to make it very clear that what Charles is contemplating is illegal, he asks this. And this will become very important in the prosecution of the case. Charles says, are you a cop or involved in law enforcement? LOL, really? Gotta be careful, he says. Yeah, man, I get it. Can you get away, says Charles? Man, it's fucking cold. I don't want to be out today. Okay, but you're pretty close, he says. Cool, want me to stop by? Yeah, where you at? Charles tells him his location. Gives him some landmarks. a Couple of gas stations. A road. Where are you? Charles says, gotta be careful. Yeah, man, I get it," says the decoy. "So when and where?" He gives the address. Okay, probably be there around three fifteen. Okay, I'm here. Okay, hey, are you still coming? Yes, leaving shortly," says Charles. "Are you watching porn now?" he asks. "Nah, you bringing some?" "I can if you want me to." "Can't wait to see you," he says. So there's talk of sex. There's talk of teaching him. There's talk of classes in session. There's a question about, are you law enforcement or related to law enforcement? Yes, Charles Lawrence knows what he's getting into. There's very little doubt. Now, he'll have an excuse, and I'll get into that in a minute. But there's very little doubt that he knows what's going on here. School is in session. Who says that? Well, Charles Lawrence. So Charles is going to ultimately make this seem like it's just a random gay hookup. And between consenting adults, no one has an issue with that. But we're talking about a child here. At this point, we know a little bit about Charles Lawrence. We know that his screen name on Grinder is an 8 by 6 guy 44. 8 by 6 apparently refers to the length and circumference of his penis. Who knew? He says he's 44. He was actually pushing 60 at the time. And looked it. So he heads over, Charles does. This podcast is supported by Morgan Stanley. Old school wisdom with a passion for what's possible. That's what you get from the Morgan Stanley client experience. You get listening more than talking and a personalized plan built on insights and innovative technology. You get grit, vision, and the creativity to guide you through a changing world. Old school grit, new world ideas morgan stanley to learn more visit morganstanleycom slash why us investing involves risk morgan stanley smith barney llc more about this predator i've caught in a moment he's driving a red bright red like fire engine red jeep and he pulls up in the driveway and he comes right to the door and you can listen to the exchange here how are you doing? Good. good. She can come in. Oh lights nice. on. I know. It's getting dark out. It's supposed to rain. hurricane. Mm-hmm. You want something to eat? No. I know. I you want a drink? You want some water? Yeah, great. You want water? Yeah. yeah. It's not your day been so hard. Good, good. Yeah. There you go. Some water. So did you bring anything? Oh, it's in the car. You have in the car? The eighteen year old on-site decoy is posing as the 13-year-old boy. He's actually in the Police Explorer program in Fairfield. And he looks a little bit older than 13, but could pass. And in this particular investigation, there are more guys looking for girls than boys. And so this was his, I believe, first opportunity to actually have a face-to-face. And he was a little nervous, but he did a good job. So he invites Charles in. Charles walks into the kitchen from the door, and all of this is captured with our hidden cameras. The arrival, the approach, the entrance. We've seen a picture of him from social media. We know he lives in Fairfield, only 2,000 feet away. We know he's got a CPA license. We know he's got a commercial real estate license. He sits down and he really doesn't seem very nervous, Charles. And as you hear, He's offered water, food. And finally, the decoy asks Charles, did he bring anything? Because he was supposed to bring porn. And Charles, I can't tell from the monitor whether he's getting hinky or whether he's excited. But he says he left the porn in the car. Now, I've got to make a split-second decision. And again, I still haven't recognized him as the guy from the train. I just know he's a guy I want to interview. Well, Charles gets up ostensibly to go to his car to get the porn. And I'm thinking, what if he just gets in his car and bolts? You know, that could happen. Or he could go get the porn and bring it back. So I figure either way, the police are going to arrest him. The crime has been committed, and I had better make my move now. So I walk out and listen to what Charles says. No, Chris. What are you doing? Chris, I know, but you'd have to explain this to her. Come man. That's right. He recognizes me before I recognize him. He says, no, Chris. And I pursue him. I'm walking behind him to try to get him to come back and talk to me. And he says something to the effect of it's not what it appears. And he leaves through the front door. I mean, I can't grab him and make him talk to me. And immediately he's arrested by police. He offers no resistance. They bring him into the garage. They take him to the Fairfield Police Department. And they have a pretty extensive interview with him, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But inside the car, and he gives them his consent to search the car, but they find gay porn video, Seattle bareback boys. They find cigarettes, condoms, and they find some nail polish remover which in and of itself isn't illegal. But apparently, nail polish remover contains amyl nitrate poppers. And in some social circles, people sniff this. They inhale it to get high. And so the theory was that he had brought these with to get high with the boy by sniffing it. Now, I never had the chance to ask Charles about that. I don't think there was, again any direct link, but they were in his car, raising suspicions about, obviously, his activities there. So Charles gets taken down to the police station, as I mentioned. Now, he really didn't talk to me very much because he left. And he's being walked in. Now, this all happened so quickly, and the initial part of his encounter with me was mostly on hidden camera because it wasn't until a second or two after I walked out that the actual physical cameras came out. So he's still not clear as to how much of this was caught on camera. He knew who I was. He knew that I had done these predator investigations before. Everybody did. So he's down at the police station and we have access there because of what we're doing. And he's got this hoodie on and he tries to block his face with the hoodie as he's walking down the hallway into the booking area. And he gets in and he sits down, and automatically he's 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 acting like this is a all one big mistake that he's being inconvenienced on a weekend afternoon, Saturday afternoon. And the detective, and these detectives, I mean, every law enforcement agency with which we've worked to has been first grade, but really impressive here in Fairfield. They're very good interviewers, interrogators. In fact, I go back and occasionally look at these interrogation videos because they're so good at getting these people to open up. And Charles starts to spin the story that in fact he had scratched his eye. That he couldn't wear his contacts. That he had to wear glasses to see. And in fact when he finished his coffee and went on grinder that day, he didn't have his glasses and he thought 13 was 18. And listen to the exchange between Charles and the investigator. Is it your understanding that you were going there to see and talk to a 13-year-old? No. No. Okay. The problem you're going to have with your explanation is if you thought legitimately that the person was 18, yeah. if you thought that you read the number 18... I thought he, thought he, I thought, he thought he was 18. Okay. Okay. And so he you thought you were being an 18-year-old? Well, I got scratched. So I can't wear my contacts, so I'm I'm wearing these glasses. And I was downstairs having a cup of coffee and my glasses were upstairs. And I'm I'm, looking, I, I thought he's at 18, I swear to God. And then he tries to extricate himself from the problem because he knows me. He says, Chris Hansen is a friend of mine, I'll play this in a second. And that he knows all about the predator investigations and would never, ever get involved with a boy listen to this you know i mean chris hansen is actually i know him he's a friend of mine i commuted on the train for years i would never ever in my entire life meet a 13 year old that, that i say to myself it's disgusting i commuted on the train with him for years it makes it sound like we're best buddies we weren't but you know obviously I, as i said i knew him from the train that's more of an embarrassment than anything more of an embarrassment than anything he's seen the shows I've seen Chris's show before so I understand, I understand you've seen Chris's show before yeah. unfortunately this is this is the way this is played out when you meet Chris Hansen in the kitchen there's no way that's right, when you meet Chris Hansen in the kitchen it's not good not good, that's an understatement I can show you that I was at my ophthalmologist yesterday I was scratching my eye as to why I'm wearing these glasses and why I didn't see that correctly I can show you if you want to see it says 13 I can't read that Okay, I, I thought it said 18 It says 13, okay, and that's fine Some people say they're 18 and they're not And that doesn't make sense And the detective's gonna point this out People can say they're 18 but they're not This guy said he was 13 The decoy So his logic is twisted here, he's doing the best he can He's an educated guy, he knows he's in trouble he still thinks he's gonna get out of trouble and he thinks the worst part is that he's been embarrassed by me and he's gonna be on one of my television shows. I don't understand why you would write that or be concerned about that. If if in fact, you thought you read the number 18, that 13, I would've shut it right down, I would've blocked him right then and there. If I knew he was 13, I would've shut it right down, I would've blocked it right there. That's not true. He had the opportunity to walk away, but over two days, he continued this conversation. and was almost giddy when he walked into the house. Meet this boy. So Charlie continues with this excuse about having been to the ophthalmologist, not able to wear his contacts, and that's why he couldn't see that the boy had said he was 13, even though he acknowledged it in the chat. Now, at this point, he hasn't lawyered up. He has given his consent to be interviewed without a lawyer. He's given his consent to have his Jeep searched, but he's going to get charged. There's nothing he has said that can mitigate the facts of this case. And so he is charged, he is held on $75,000 bond, he, he gets out pretty quickly and he's out in the community. Now, this didn't air for almost a year by the time it was all edited, put together and the decision was made that it was going to be part of Crime Watch Day. So in that time, Charles and his lawyer decide to plead guilty to the charges. And these charges were taken very seriously by the judicial system at Fairfield. These guys did almost without exception time. Charles is sentenced to ultimately eight years in state prison. He has to serve two, which he does. And he's got to register as a sex offender for 10 years and be on probation for 10 years. Now, even though the actual story didn't air for almost a year after the sting, word got out in the community. The local newspapers did stories. The chief of police, Gary McNamara, was interviewed by the newspapers. And this is appropriate. They did a sting operation and people should know. And so word got out and everybody's picture was in the paper, in the local papers, their identities, what they did. I was interviewed for the stories. There was talk about you know, more predator investigations and the impact it had on the community. And all the coverage was favorable, except for those guys who got caught, obviously. So now everybody knows about this. And during that period of time, I rode the train a few times. And the conductors on Metro North all knew me, knew what I did for a living. And they had seen this. And so Charles Lawrence III suddenly became... Choo Choo Charlie, because we knew him from the train. So to this day, his nickname is Choo Choo Charlie. Now it was interesting because in the great scheme of things, the sentence was, you know, for a first time offender. It's not harsh, it was deserved. But I asked Gary McNamara that question, the challenging question, the chief of police, the challenging question about these sentences. And here's what he had to say at the time. That's a pretty stiff sentence for a first-time offender. Well, yeah. Well, some would say it's not stiff enough, Chris. Some would say it's not stiff enough. But certainly that that should send the message out that uh, we all know what the intent was, what the reason for the visit was, and and he's held accountable for that. Charles, who obviously got a lot of attention out of this when he went to be sentenced, we had crews at the courthouse, and he was able to sneak in through an employee's entrance so we didn't capture video of that but he did tell the judge at the time that quote he used poor judgment but is not a pedophile and has never downloaded or viewed child pornography be that as it may he did according to the evidence and what we've seen and heard try to solicit a 13 year old boy for sex and he showed up now it was interesting because on that day as he left, I couldn't pinpoint his name. I knew it was Charles, and I couldn't remember his last name. And so I actually called a friend of mine from the train, Jackie Lux. And I said, who is that guy, Charles? He goes, yeah, Charles Lawrence. I said, you will not believe this. And he said, what? And I don't know if he knew we were doing a predator investigation. I keep these things pretty close until they're over. I said, he just walked into one of my kitchens. And oh, my God. And And then stories started to come out about... Charles Lawrence being at different bars and restaurants with young men and his activities and you know again you don't want to criticize somebody for having an alternative lifestyle and this isn't an issue obviously of gay or straight or dating or being bi, whatever, nobody really cares but when you cross that line and you exploit a child that's when I care that's when you make the show and that's what happened to Charles Lawrence III, a.k.a. Choo Choo Charlie. Charles is out of prison now. As I mentioned, he's on parole and is a registered sex offender. He continues to be a CPA. I'm not clear as to whether or not he's still involved in commercial real estate. There was an issue with his license after his conviction, after he pleaded guilty. I reached out to him a few years ago and actually got him on the phone. And we had a conversation and he did indicate that he had some things to say to put all this into perspective. And I asked him to get back to me and talk about an interview. And he said he'd consider it. And he never did get back to me before I recorded this podcast. I called him again. I've got a cell phone number and I left a message. I think it would be fascinating to talk to him. Charles Lawrence. We'll see if he gets back to me. If he does, he will be on this podcast as one of the predators I caught. As you know, I like to hear from you and you guys have been great about sending me your questions, your comments, and many of them are recorded, which I know takes some time out of your day to do, which makes me appreciate it all the more. This week's question is from Josh in Tucson, Arizona. Hello, Chris. My name is Josh calling in from Tucson, Arizona. I've been on a binge of all your podcast episodes on Spotify lately. I've been enjoying the heck out of them. My question is, do you happen to have a funny memory or a happy memory or some wholesome moment that might have happened off camera, either during, before, or after a sting investigation? I would really love to hear from you. I look forward to seeing the new stuff on TV once it comes out. Keep up the great work and keep doing what you do. Thanks, Chris. Well, thank you, Josh. That's a very interesting question because we deal with such dark and disturbing material during these investigations and continue to do so that you really made me think of some funny stories, some things behind the scenes. And I'll tell you one touching story and one funny story. So the funny story first, we have these connecting cables called BNC. I don't know what that stands for, but it's a small metal cylinder that connects one cable to another. And that we, they're used for video. And so George, one of our technicians who worked on many investigations with us, is a real character. And he was taking vitamins. Also in the pocket where he had his vitamins, he had one of these BNC connectors. And he went in the pocket to grab his daily vitamins, and by mistake in the handful of vitamins was this small metal cylinder, open-ended on each side, used to connect to video cables. That's not sharp or anything, but it's it's about, you know, inch and a half long and a quarter inch wide. And with his vitamins that he puts in his mouth is this BNC connector. George takes a big swig of water and swallows the BNC connector. Now, he's panicky about having this in his stomach, in his system. And he calls the doctor and he says, look, you know, just make sure you drink a lot of fluids and it'll pass. <laughs> so he made the mistake of sharing this with all of us and the crew. And so for the rest of the shoot, this is like on day one of the shoot, <laughs> for the rest of the shoot is he's nervously waiting to fish through his feces to see if this cable connector has passed. We waited six or seven times a day say, hey, George, what, do you have a BNC connector? On? I guess he had to be there, but that was funny. And the heartwarming story is, you hear me talk about Ronnie Knight. On one of the shoots, we were out socializing afterwards. And Ronnie Knight actually met the love of his life, Betsy. And they've been together ever since, which is great because he's happy. He's a great guy. She's lovely. She's happy. And they have a great life together. And so here's to you, Ronnie and Betsy. Thank you once again for being with me as we discuss the predators I've caught. Please leave a comment after you listen to the podcast, a good review. And a like. And as always, you can reach me at Chris at Predator Podcast.com. I'll be watching and listening. This podcast is supported by Morgan Stanley. Old school wisdom with a passion for what's possible. That's what you get from the Morgan Stanley client experience. You get listening more than talking and a personalized plan built on insights and innovative technology. You get grit, vision, and the creativity to guide you through a changing world. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC.